I really enjoyed what he was saying. And um, we often quote verse number 8 and verse number um, as one of the uh, great verses that the Bible talks about, that God commends his love toward us. And uh, But he read the verse before it and then read verse number 8. I want to read that to you because I, I think this is a wonderful truth. Paul writes, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare die. But, in other words, we're going to tell you something that doesn't fit either of these two scenarios. A righteous man or a good man. But God commendeth His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, we weren't righteous, we weren't good. But God commendeth His love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know if we'll ever understand why God loves us. But I'm so glad He does. I uh, had a privilege here about a week or so ago to do the funeral of uh, Luther Davis. And um, one of the things that we brought up was this issue that uh, we are not able to save ourselves. There's not enough good in this world. And, you know, I, I, was, I saw someone the other day had posted a, a little thing. I think it was on Facebook or a text or something that had come through <coughs> that um, was along the lines of uh, the fact that, um, that, that man is unable, unable to save himself. There's nothing good that a man can do to save himself. And he said this statement. He said, for somebody to die and go to hell, they don't need to do anything. I thought, boy, what a truth. The truth is, the Bible tells us we're all sinners. <laughs> Even when we're saved, we're saved, but we still sin sometimes, and we don't want to. That's not our heart's desire, but the old flesh nature still rears its ugly head up sometimes. And in weakness, even though our spirit is willing, in weakness often we sin and we fail God. But he made that statement that we were not able to save ourselves. Not something we could not do. Not, not, not within us to do. And that, that in order for a man to go to hell, uh, he has to do simply nothing. And, and I think John teaches us that in John chapter 3. He said that a man that believeth not is condemned already. And I think sometimes we're, we're going to be preaching on missions tonight here in just a little bit after our prayer time. I think sometimes we've had it in our minds that uh, when we share the gospel with somebody, that we need to tell them how God's going to judge their sin and God's going to be condemning. And, and, and they get this wrong view of God right off the bat that He's against them, that he, He's here to, uh, to show His holiness in such a way that He's after them, He's out to get them. And that's not our God at all. Our God loved us while we were sinners. And that's what people need to hear. Is, is God going to have to judge sin? Absolutely. But that's of our doing, not His. He's a holy God. He cannot be less than He is. And so God loved us so much that He decided, I'm going to make a way. He said He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Nowhere in Scripture do you find that Jesus came to condemn us. In fact, the Bible teaches us quite the contrary. He came to save us. And why this world gets this attitude towards God and thinks, well, he's some big bully up in heaven that's raining on our fun parade. I don't know where they get that from, other than Satan just puts it in their hearts and their minds. My God loves me. He loved me when I was unsaved. He loved me when I was a sinner. So much so that he was willing to let his son die. And if I had been the only sinner in this whole world and everyone else would have been righteous, he would have still sent his son to die in my place. That's how much He loved me. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what. If a Christian ever gets over being excited about being saved, uh, boy, something's wrong. we gotta, we got to get our hearts back again. And, uh, and then He makes it easy. He makes it simple. Brother Harold and I have been talking recently with someone and um, had a, had a, have had a challenge, uh, not from Scripture, but just from the attitude or the mindset of this other person. Uh, not willing to read Scripture and see what it says. Because God makes salvation so simple. 
He doesn't make us work for it. He doesn't make us earn it. He doesn't say, hey, if you're going to get to heaven, you have to live a good life. Now, should a Christian live a good life? Certainly we should. We want to please God. But if I got saved and that's all I ever did, put my faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ did on Calvary, that He went to the grave for three days and rose again on the third day, if I trust what He said He was going to do, if I put my faith in that, I can live as rotten of a life as I want to after that, and I'll still be in heaven. The good thing is, when we get saved and we really put our faith in the Lord, He changes our wanters. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, when I was a kid, uh, man, I loved playing baseball and being outside and, and riding go-karts and doing everything. And my dad would talk about heaven. We're going to sing in heaven. And we're going to praise God in heaven. And as a kid, I used to think, for eternity? <laughs> That's going to take, what, what else are we going to do? That's going to get boring after a while. And then I got this thought. This is the amazing thing. God gave me the things that I want now in this life, my wanter, and makes those things enjoyable to me. I love flying airplanes. Uh, I enjoy that. He put that in me. He, he put something in you that you enjoy. Maybe it's drinking coffee or I don't know, whatever it is that you're shopping, ladies, or whatever it is. He, he created that in you. And there's nothing that you, in this life, and in, 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 in the flesh, in the human side, that you enjoy any more than these things that He allows you to enjoy. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be transformed into what the Bible says is a glorified body. And we're going to have a different wanter. And we're going to get the thrill of our lives being able to praise God throughout all of eternity. And uh, spend that time all throughout eternity with Him. It'll never get old. And, uh, man, I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. That's not even the message tonight. That's just kind of a, I'm glad I'm saved tonight. Amen. I'm glad I'm saved. My dad used to say years ago, he said, you know, some, some people get just enough Christianity to make themselves miserable. You know, they, they, they pray a prayer and they come to church and they go through all the motions of Christianity. They try to live a good life of themselves. But never having put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there was never something that God did miraculously inside of them. And they lived their life in misery. Very religious, but lost. And boy, how sad that is to sit in church services and hear the Scriptures and hear the Gospel and then to to not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How much of a travesty would that be? To go into eternity and realize... Boy, I heard it. I heard it. I should have listened. I should have put my faith in Him. I should have taken that moment. And our hearts are sorrowful when we realize the chances that we've missed to share that with people. But we rejoice that God has done it for us. And uh, we thank God for it. Well, I don't know about you all. I'm just glad to be saved tonight. I am. And... uh, We've got a lot to be in prayer about, if you will. Keep some folks in prayer. Uh, my, uh, I have a dear friend of mine uh, that went home to be with the Lord Sunday afternoon. Uh, young man, 41 years old, Jeremy Tadino. And uh, he was one of my staff men when I pastored uh, down in Florida. And uh, he's got two... Uh, younger age kids, and he's got an older daughter, and, uh, and of course his young wife. And uh, he got COVID here about uh, uh, about I guess about eight or ten days before he passed away, and had some pretty moderate symptoms, but he, did, he, he didn't seem to be in dire straits yet. And then he went into the hospital. I guess it was Thursday or Friday, and from that point on, just spiraled downhill. And uh, Sunday morning we were praying for a miracle and i mentioned him even in sunday school and prayer time and uh sunday afternoon he went home to be with the lord and uh we shed tears because my heart hurts for his family and certainly i hurt because he's a friend but uh, i rejoice i i told i told someone down there in florida sunday afternoon or sunday evening i said i i'm almost upset at him because he got there before i did you know and and uh but do be in prayer for the Tudino family and um, his wife Mandy and his kids. And his oldest daughter is 
uh, the same age as uh, uh, Reagan. Uh, I think they're, I think one year apart, and uh, they're good friends. And so, uh, please keep the Tadino family in prayer. Um, also, got word uh, this afternoon. My uncle Eddie uh, went to the oncologist and went through uh, is, is going to do some radiation treatments on his brain cancer, and uh, they've not noticed any improvement yet. Um, and uh, the doctors uh, said that he has anywhere between one to two years left. So that's a little longer than uh, maybe I thought at the first. So we thank the Lord for that. And there's still opportunity for God to work there. And uh, so pray for that. He is in a lot of pain, though. And so please keep him in prayer. I told my aunt tonight that, I, that our church has been praying for them. And so if you would continue to pray for Eddie and Diane and uh, that God will bless there. All right. Um, God's given great opportunities this week uh, to share the gospel with some of our folks. Uh, I had an opportunity once this week already to share the gospel with someone, and they've not yet trusted Christ as their Savior, but I'm optimistic and uh, that uh, the message was well received and the door was left open. And so pray that God will bless there. And uh, so pray that God will continue to work uh, in the hearts and lives of those that we get an opportunity to share the gospel with. Um, and uh, all right, so let's go ahead and take prayer requests. If you have something you need to pray for, or if you have a blessing, maybe an answer to prayer you'd like to share, that'll be fine too. Yes, ma'am. <coughs> Amen. Okay. Oh my, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Danny's one of the ones, the kind of blondish hair that would come uh, with the My Place residential folks. And uh, sweet fella. Oh my, sweet fella. But yeah, I do be in prayer for him. He's had uh, a lot of surgeries already and uh, very painful ones. Recovery is very difficult. So. Pray for him. Uh, do you need help loading and unloading? You got all that? Okay. Okay. All right. Well, if you need it, holler at us. So we're absolutely. Brother Kenny? Rob? Okay. Amen. 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 <laughs> sure. Uh, I'll tell you, I, uh, I'm glad that we have a church that notices God's moving, God, God doing things. A lot of churches, they... God does things, but they don't seem to see it or, or recognize it sometimes. But uh, I'm glad we have a church that sees that. And uh, God is good all the time. Sometimes we say, well, boy, God sure was good today. Well, he's always good, you know. And uh, every once in a while, Brother Harold and I will be talking. We'll be like, there's a really good verse right there, as if all the others are not very good verses. But they all are. God is always good. And uh what I think we mean by that, I was talking to somebody just Sunday, I think it was, is uh, the psalmist said, my cup runneth over, and uh, Psalm 23. And uh, we all, I think, can relate to some of that, where we get to a point, and it's not God doing more, 
it's just our hearts being able to receive more of it and and just uh and I think as we're able to receive more of it he's willing to pour out as much as we can stand and sometimes more than we can stand sometimes and uh it just gets gooder and gooder not good english but it is good theology <laughs> and so I certainly know what you mean by that brother kitty praise the lord for that miss kim amen amen absolutely Amen. Amen. Uh, <laughs> you only get one. Huh? Uh, oh, yes. We got to get that done. Right. Right. Sure. <laughs> right. Amen. 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 <laughs> so, all right. Who else? Anybody else? Miss Linda, we'll start over here. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I did get a chance to see him. Uh, see, I guess it was Saturday, I think, last week, and um, he he really looked pretty good. Uh, he he had had a lot of fluid. And I think that was more so than his breathing. So, but uh, he looked pretty good. Was talking, and we we spent a good probably forty five minutes together. And I was I was only going to stay briefly because I thought if he can't breathe, usually when I call, he doesn't have a, he can't talk very long. And boy, he talked my ear off that day. So I thought, well, we'll. Enjoy the fellowship while we can, but do be in prayer for him. Uh, he does need some help with that. Miss Bailey? Okay. Okay. I see. Mm. Sure. Right. Okay. 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 So pray for this one. Uh, Okay, and if there's possibility of them being agreeable to meet with one of us, we'll be more than happy to to come sit with them and have a cup of coffee. And, yeah. Uh huh. Right. Sure. Okay. Okay. Okay, well, let us know if there's something we can do, and we'll certainly be praying and uh, be glad to go meet with them if they're if they're willing to. That Again, those are open doors, and um, I know you can't force anybody to meet with you or talk with you about it, but uh, if there are, then let us know. Absolutely. Miss Kim, I think you had your hand raised. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Aren't we glad for God's forgiveness? That's good. Amen. And and forgiveness for one another. And uh, praise the Lord for that. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh-huh. Sure. Okay. Right. Sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Good. All right. Uh, yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay. All righty. <coughs> all right. Yes, ma'am. Sure. <laughs> wow. Yep. <laughs> oh, good. Sure. Amen. Amen. Sure. Absolutely. Good. Amen. Amen. And sure. Okay. Pray for uh, Joe. I know Brother Harold's mentioned him a couple times. Uh, we've had an opportunity to share the gospel with him, and uh, Lord willing, uh, we'll get an opportunity again tomorrow night. And so pray for that meeting, if you would. We've had, uh, I've had, this will be my third time. I think Brother Harold's been there another couple, two or three times longer than that. Uh, but uh, he's, he hasn't closed the door on us yet, so we thank the Lord for that. But pray that God will uh, use it and it will be a profitable meeting. Um, there, there are some, I think Miss Penny or somebody posted this week, uh, regarding that even Jesus taught there are some things that, take a little more fervency in prayer and even some fasting occasionally. Uh, and uh, this is one of those matters that God's going to have to do a work in the heart. It's certainly not going to be uh, our logic or our reasoning. It's going to have to be God doing something in the heart. And uh, it, I know that. And it, we get too dependent sometimes uh, on how we go about sharing the gospel, that that's going to be what saves them. And it never is. It's always God doing the work. But um, this is one of those ones that will uh, take a little more fervency, I believe, in prayer than uh, than normal. And um, if there is a normal, I guess. But uh, but do be in prayer, if you would, uh, tomorrow night uh, for that, if you wouldn't mind. That God will bless there. Okay. Anything else? Okay. Well, uh, let's see. Brother Wayne, would you mind leading us in prayer tonight for these?
Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles tonight, turn to Acts chapter number 13. Acts chapter 13. We've been dealing with uh, the topic of missions, <clears throat> the idea that um, we want to become more involved uh, with our missionaries, the ones that we support financially. We want to uh, be a part, have an active part in their ministries. We want to know them and pray for them, uh, find other ways that we can encourage them and perhaps even meet some of the needs of their ministry. And uh, so we're, we're in fact, uh, Brother Jim was asking me tonight, uh, we're going to try to get our new boards up this Friday and Saturday, uh, and or at least by Saturday, and uh, hopefully have a few more of our, our missionaries stationed around the building here. And the idea being that we want to encourage you to try to weekly contact one of them. Uh, just pick one and kind of adopt a missionary, if you will, uh, for a month, for four weeks, and find a way each week to contact them, either through email or by video chat or phone call or whatever you can do. If they're here in the States, that's easier than if they're overseas. But uh, we can still email. Um, if you find out what time, a lot of them that are overseas are just about 12 hours separated from us. So it may mean that we talk in the morning and it's their night. But it would both be convenient times for each to be able to talk to them. Uh, so I want to encourage you in this. Uh, and then we've been teaching a little bit on missions. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to be in the next several months um, hopefully piecing together a, uh, a written missions policy for our church that will be something that will help guide us and hold these, these principles of Scripture um, uh, forward. And so I want us to look at Acts uh, chapter 13. I started on this the first week, which was before uh, we had to close the church for about three weeks there uh, a couple months ago. Uh, and this was the first one we were getting into. And I just want to reiterate a couple points and then move into some new material tonight. But Acts chapter number 13, uh, regarding the, the biblical pattern of missions. In Acts chapter 13, the Bible says now there were, in verse number 1, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and uh, uh, Manian, uh, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord. I think that's a key statement. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Uh, well, there's an awful lot in these two verses. Uh, number one, uh, these were men who were already uh, serving God and laboring. They were already um, men that had become accustomed to following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, these were not young Christians. These were not novices. Um, but they were men that were involved. The Bible said in verse number 2, as they ministered to the Lord. So these folks are involved in ministry. Uh, my dad used to say years ago, uh, when you get to be a part of a church, you ought to do something. I mean, everybody can do something. If you can't shoot, carry bullets. You know, do something. And... Uh, uh, I love Miss Evelyn. A couple Sundays ago I shared with you, she was up and getting ready. I didn't expect her to be here. She wasn't feeling good. And she's like, i got to play that piano. That's my ministry. And that's her. That's what God's given her to do. Do something in the church. Uh, be involved. Uh, don't just breathe in the good air and blow out the bad air. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, 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 a lake. It's a big lake, but they call it a sea called the Dead Sea over, overseas. And the reason it's called the Dead Sea is it's, it's full of a lot of minerals and, and uh, waters flow into it. It's actually below sea level, and so a lot of water flows into the Dead Sea, but it has no outlet. And so over the years, all these things have been dumping into the, the Dead Sea, and people go there and uh, swim in it, and uh, it's more buoyant because of all the minerals that are in it. But that sea has taken in all this stuff, and it never gives anything out. And I thought, man, I would not want to be known as a Dead Sea Christian. I don't want to just take a bunch of stuff in that God gives me and then just just keep it there, not ever send it out and do something with it. And so these missionaries in, in chapter 13, when the first missionaries were called, these were men that were already doing something. They were laboring, ministering for the Lord. Secondly, they were already accustomed to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Notice it says in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And so the Holy Spirit puts in the heart of Barnabas and Saul, this is something I have for you to do. Um, and I was talking to somebody the other day. In fact, I was talking to somebody just today 
um, about the book of Revelation and uh, how some people look at that and say, oh, there's a, it's just too confusing. The name of the book is Revelation. God wants us to know these things. And he uses things because a lot of the stuff is stuff that is so far beyond what our minds can even think about. He tries to use uh, things that we can relate to and understand and see to explain these things to him. And, and so uh, understand this, that these, these folks uh, were, were being led by the Holy Spirit of God. They had a calling that God had put on their lives and they knew it. The Holy Spirit had called them. And so the, uh, the Holy Spirit puts it on the hearts of the po- folks in the church at Antioch. And he said, I want you to separate me, Barnabas and Saul, uh, uh, for the work whereunto I have called them. And then notice in verse number 3, and it says, And when they had fasted and prayed, uh, now we already know that um, uh, Barnabas and Saul and some of these others that were mentioned in verse number 1, we're already accustomed to fasting and praying. So I believe that this reference in verse 3 is speaking of the church itself. Um, and when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them. And notice this, they sent them away. I believe every missionary ought to be sent from a local New Testament Baptist church, a church of like faith, uh, that can be an extension of what God has given us here through His Word uh, by way of sound doctrine, by way of practice and our distinctives that make us distinctively Baptist, that we believe to be based on principles of God's Word. Um, and so again, uh, finding this uh, uh, idea in Scripture that when a missionary uh, comes out of our church, we ought to follow this pattern. We pray over them, we lay hands on them, and we send them. Um, again, I was talking to a missionary friend of mine that's the deputy, uh, one of the deputation directors, or was one of the deputation directors at BIMI for a number of years. And I said, you know, we're wasting a lot of God's money because we have all these missionaries going and trying to raise support for three, two or three, four years. And the average cost to put a family of four uh, on a mission field was approaching a quarter of a million dollars in the time that they spent on deputation. And I thought, boy, how much more could that those funds be used reaching people with the gospel? I said, wouldn't it be so much better if every church in America would quit supporting all their missionaries and pick one and send them? And if they have enough money left over, then they go to the second one and they send them. And, uh, and we talked about that for a while. And, and he said, you know, the truth is that's probably a more biblical view of missions. However, he said, and, and I, I agree with his statement, he said, sometimes these missionaries need that time of deputation to uh, uh, get some uh, grit in their craw, I guess, uh, some, some character, some, some bumps and bruises along the way that they have to learn to strengthen for and trust God for. And it matures them for the ministry. And my answer to that, again, comes back to Acts. We find that the men that God set aside for this were not novices. These weren't... Uh, brand new college students fresh out of Bible college who were still wet behind the ears and didn't know anything about uh, the, the, the ministry. Uh, these were men that had already been laboring and ministering. And I'm not saying that we would never take on a missionary that's fresh out of college. Uh, I think that at this point we still continue to pray and see what the Holy Spirit wants because I believe that is the key. But there are some characteristics and some qualities of the early church. So they were qualified uh, in the sense that they were uh, matured, they they were, um, and I say qualified, I hate to use that word because uh, none of us ever feel like we're qualified or, or uh, fit the role of, but you understand what I'm saying, they weren't novices, they were uh, well-seasoned, they were grounded, they were rooted, um, and then they were accountable. Look with me in chapter number 14 and verse number 26, chapter number 14 and verse number 26. The Bible says, in thin, uh, uh, back up verse 25, And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to uh, uh, Attilia and thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how He had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. One of the great things I love about our Wednesday night service is you and I get the opportunity to rehearse what God has done in our lives that week. Uh, and we ought to also expect that of a missionary, that they contact us and they say, let me tell you what God's been doing in this church. And if they don't, 
that we pick up a prayer card and we call them and say, okay, tell me something that God's been doing in your ministry. Let's, let's hear how God is working. Uh, there's an accountability there. And so, again, these uh, biblical pattern of missions is that there ought to be accountability. First of all, to their home and sending church, but in the day that we live, since we have multiple churching help, churches helping to support a missionary, um, they also need to be, uh, uh, to some degree, accountable to those that also help financially support them. I believe answerable first to uh, their home church and their sending church uh, to give that accountability. And uh, I know we have mission boards, and it's a necessary evil, I guess we should say. There are some things that are not told in Scripture that we do. Uh, for instance, uh, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, there was no such thing as a Sunday school. Um, but now we have a Sunday school. Uh, is it wrong because for all these years they didn't have it? No, it's a good thing, isn't it? It's been something that's good. So I'm not saying that mission boards are bad or that they're evil, but uh, we need to keep in mind that they are not the, the authority over that missionary. They're not the ones that that missionary is answerable to. Um, there may be some standards that they have to follow with that mission board, but their accountability is uh, to the, the local church that sends them and primarily to God himself. And uh, so I think that's the, the biblical uh, pattern that God has given uh, for uh, Paul and Barnabas to send back to the church and tell them about these things. And then they were supported by the church, both prayerfully and financially. Let's take our Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number 4. <clears throat> and I love the church at Philippi. The church, the church at Philippi, um, I guess if I have a favorite New Testament church, it would be the church at Philippi. Uh, Paul does not have anything negative to say to the church at Philippi. The only church that I know of that he wrote a letter to that he didn't rebuke them for something they were doing wrong. Uh, it was the first church that was started when he had the Macedonian call, if you remember. And he uh, goes uh, into Lystra and those areas and he meets, uh, as soon as he gets off the boat, he meets Lydia, the seller of purple. Uh, and she gets saved, and they start a church, and that becomes the church at Philippi. And um, so great, great church in Macedonia. And chapter number 4, uh, let's look down and um, go to verse number, uh, verse number 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. In other words, he said, y'all were... Always very thoughtful. Y'all were very careful. You were full of making sure that my needs were met. But there were some times that you lacked opportunity. He said, but now again it's flourishing. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned whatsoever, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And he says this, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. So, what Paul was saying is, it's good that you've met my needs, and it's flourished again. But even if it wasn't, even when I've been abased, I can do all things through Christ. Whether you send to my need or not, God is still going to enable us to do this. But he's commending them for being able to help them. Verse number 19, notwithstanding, notice this, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, not no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Boy, what a sad statement. What a sad statement. I, I've told you about my missionary friend that I talked to and asked uh, over 20-some years of ministry how many times someone other than a pastor or a mission board or a director of the missions team in the church or whatever, somebody that was supposed to, how many times had someone just called and said, Brother, how are things going on the field? And he said, Brother Greg, I could probably count on one hand in 20 years. Folks, that's not communicating with their needs. That, that's, that certainly is uh, the idea that, that the church at Philippi, out of all of Macedonia, the church at Philippi was the only one that communicated with Paul regarding his needs by way of giving and receiving. And when we when we talk about our missions program, I, I, I encourage our folks uh, to get in touch with our missionaries. I want us to do more than just put our designated missions in the offering plate. 
I think we need to do that. Certainly they need the financial support. I want us to do more than just put their prayer card on the refrigerator and just pray for them. Not that that's a bad thing. Not that that's, uh, and probably it is, and no doubt it is the most important thing we can do for them. But let's not end it there. Let's get in touch with them. Let's, let's communicate with them. Let's know them. Let's have a heart for their ministry and their mission. And when we take on a missionary as a church and we support that missionary, they become an extension of, of what we're doing here, the ministry that this church has. And we need to be vitally involved in that and know those things. So I want to encourage us in that. Now, what should, what should, what should take place? Well, let's look in Acts chapter number 9. And again, some of these things are things that we're going to, uh, Lord willing, have in our written missions uh, statement regarding uh, missionaries. Acts chapter number 9, let's see what these missionaries were doing. <clears throat> and uh, let's go to verse number 20. This is the Apostle Paul after he was uh, saved on the road to Damascus. And notice verse number 20, the Bible says, And straightway he what? He preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. You know, the, the key to missions is preaching. I'm all for humanitarian help. I'm all for helping uh, technical missions that, that help support missionaries. But first and primary and foremost in all of those, whether it be humanitarian aid, whether it be um, uh, technical uh, resources for other missionaries, or whether it be a, a, an actual concentrated evangelistic work, all of them ought to make the preaching, the public preaching of God's Word, paramount in their ministry. That is, the, the Bible says this, that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto them which are saved is the power of God. It, it's the thing that God has given us that is the powerful thing. Why He does, I don't know, because He calls it also the foolishness of preaching, but, but He does. That's what He ties His working in men's hearts with, is the preaching of God's Word. And, and notice this, I was talking to a fellow just today that made this statement. He said, you know, the preaching of God's Word is not just for the pastor to do. It's for every single Christian to do. When we find this in Acts chapter number 9, Saul has just gotten saved. I mean, he, he probably hasn't even dusted his clothes off yet. God told him he was supposed to go uh, into Antioch and wait there, uh, and he would be told what to do. But notice, I mean, as soon as he got this stuff, uh, well, I'm sorry, and I said to come to him. But in verse number 20, as soon as he's, he's done, he's, he's got his sight back, he's ready to go. The Bible says that straightway, I mean immediately, he preached Christ uh, in the synagogues. Preaching is very, very important. It's, it's one of the most important things that you and I can be involved in. Now, we often ask the, 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 the question, you know, is it biblical to have women preachers? Not pastors, not getting up in the pulpit, but every Christian is to be preaching the gospel individually, one-on-one. -on -one. Everywhere they go, they're to be sending that gospel message out. And while we don't believe the Bible teaches that women are to get behind the pulpit and preach or to usurp the, the doctrinal authority over the man... And, and the Bible's very clear on that issue. Amen? All right. Uh, I think we've taught on that well enough that our folks know that and understand that from Scripture. But every one of us have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And that gospel story is the most great, that's the greatest story that man's ever heard. It's not a negative. It's not something that we beat people over the head with. And some people say, well, you're forcing your Christianity down me. No, no, no. We're trying to tell you about a God who loves you. A God who does not want you to go to hell. He's done everything He could. I've heard people say this over the years. They've said, I don't believe a loving God would send anyone to hell. And I fully agree with that statement. I believe that the God that I serve at least would love man enough that he would do everything he possibly could to keep man out of hell. Even if it meant sending his own son to take my place. Boy, why in the world would he do that? I'll be honest with you. I, I love everybody in this, in this church. I do. I, I hope you know my heart on that. But there is not one of you that I would give that boy in the back sound booth there for. Sorry, I love you, but not that much. But God did. And I can't imagine why He would do that. 
short of the fact that he loved us. And this is the message we bring. This is what we tell people. That God came not to, not to condemn us, but to save us. And these missionaries that go out, when they teach people on the foreign field these things from Scripture, they need to come out there and say, listen, man's already headed to hell. We already know that. That's, that's a given. The Bible talks about that. Let me tell you what God did for you. Let's make that the emphasis. Let's, let's, let's lift that high. I've heard, and I'm not against preaching on hell, and I'm not against preaching on sin. I, I think that it needs to be done. And sometimes we need to just have a, a rip-snorting message on those kind of things. But can I tell you this? I think for far too long we have lifted up the issue of sin and hell to people that we have failed to lift up the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. And I, I think hell has to be preached on. And, and I've heard people say that Jesus spoke more on hell than he did on heaven. He did. But he spoke an awful lot about how much he loved people, too. And how much he wanted them to be saved. And how he was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And all oh, that we would lift him up. And I, 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 man, I, I'll tell you, I was in a, a meeting. I, we're not going to make it through tonight. I still have half a page of notes. Uh, y'all got to quit taking so long and giving testimonies. I mean, I know God's good, but you <laughs> Have those silent praises. Can you do that? No, I'm glad for the time we spend together. But we're not going to make it through even tonight, it doesn't look like. But I, I, was, I was listening to a preacher a number of years ago. And he said, if God could open our eyes and allow us to see the hearts of people in our churches... He said it probably would shock us how many folks are unsaved. I hope that's not the case here at Keith Heights Baptist Church. I truly do. I hope that there's every single one of us here tonight has put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just trust Him. <laughs> I shared with you all a while back, I think, I was trying to teach my middle daughter how to swim. And she was going down the steps at Grandma's house in her pool, and I was already in the pool. And I would inch her down one step at a time. Oh, I don't know if I can. She, you know, teetering on the edge, going down that next step. And I knew that she could touch bottom and strain her chin and still be above water on her tippy toes, but she could do it. And if worse came to worse, all she had to do, and I kept telling her, all you got to do, stand up on your tippy toes and tip your chin back, and you'll be able to breathe. And I was out there trying to teach her how to swim, so I'd have her jump off that last step toward me. And I'd each, you know how we do, we inch them, inch them out. And um, I was doing that one evening over at the house, and Jonathan was out there with us. He was toddling around on the, on the, uh, the sidewalk, and he was watching. And he was old enough to know better, but he, he was watching Reagan jump, and I would catch her. And all of a sudden, I hear a splash behind me. I look back, and Jonathan's underwater, and his eyes are about this big, down almost to the bottom of the pool. <laughs> he hadn't gotten much more sense now than he did then. I say that. I love him to death. But, you know, Jonathan didn't know any better than to just jump, and Dad was going to catch him. Just jump. When it comes to our salvation, we try to work our way. We think, boy, I got it must be something I've got to do. No. Just throw yourselves into the arms of Jesus and what He's done for you. And say, Lord, I'm trusting you to take me to heaven. I'm trusting the price that you paid on Calvary for me to be enough payment for my sin. I'm trusting the promise that you have given to me that if I will put my faith in you, that you will save me from my sin and give me a home in heaven. And all i got to do is say, Lord, it's you, not me. I've just got to trust him. Some people think they have to come down and kneel at an altar. Some people think they have to get baptized. Some people think they have to join the church. It's none of that. It's none of that. 
I hope tonight before we leave here that every single one in our in our church, I don't care how much you've been in church, I've seen people that have been in church 20, 30 years. I've seen Sunday school teachers that taught Sunday school for 20 years come to an altar and say, all these years I've, I've trusted all the things I was doing for God. I need to put my faith in Him now. It's a Wednesday night. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. But I hope every person in this room tonight has trusted Christ as their Savior. And if not, I would ask you this, that you would find me or one of our members here after the church service and say, I'd sure like to know that I'm going to heaven. I want to trust Christ tonight. And we will take the opportunity. And unless you're sitting there saying, well, I'd be scared to do that. I'd be nervous. I tell you this, it'd be the thrill of our hearts. Nothing to be nervous about. You'd have a whole church here rejoicing with you. That one that was lost is now found. And you'll have all of heaven rejoicing with you. And so I hope that you're saved tonight. It's, It's what missionaries do. And by the way, when we walk out that door tonight, welcome to the mission field. It's what we do. It's what we do. We share the gospel with people. We let them know how to be saved. The love that God has for them. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm not going to have an altar call tonight, but before we pray, with nobody, I don't want anybody to look around. I, I hardly ever do this. Hardly ever. But if you're here tonight and you say, Brother Greg,